General Baptist Ministries has been called by God to exist for the church. We aren't here so General Baptist can help us do ministry, but we are here to help the church do ministry and fulfill its commission to make disciples of all nations and preach the good news to every man, woman, boy, and girl. We partner with churches because we believe that we can do more together than any one person or church can do alone. Hi, I'm Vince Daniel, Vice President for National Missions, and I want to welcome you to this episode of Doing Together. Doing Together is about sharing the ways that General Baptist partner together so that your church can fulfill its calling. Hey, everybody. We're so glad that you could join us today. This is Vince Daniel, Vice President of National Missions with General Baptist, and I'm joined today on the podcast with the entire cabinet, uh, Danny Donovan, President of General Baptist Ministries, uh, Mark Powell, the Vice President of International Ministries, Travis Stevens, Vice President of what do you do again, Travis? Uh, Church Health, I think. Church Health is what Travis does. And then our Vice President of Regional Ministries, Dustin Thompson. Guys, good to have you with us today. Good to be here. Great to be here. Glad to be here. Thank you for having us. Absolutely. Well, <laughs> that was uh, so weird, Dustin. <laughs> we have, have uh, a brand up, hold. We've been trying to figure out a time to get us all in the same room and be able to talk through some things. And uh, as we laid out this podcast season, one of the things that came up was just talking about the idea of church traditions and, and just some fun stories and being able to have some fun, but, but also maybe address... I don't know that we're going to address the issue, but we're at least going to talk about the issue of uh, some of the conversations that have happened over the last several years. And I, and I think probably you could easily say since the beginning of church, there's always been a discussion between either the old way and a new way or traditional versus modern. And, and I'm not even sure that's the right word is modern. Um, but I want to kind of dive into some of that today with you guys. And so what I did is, uh, you know, Danny, because I, I work from simple tools like Webster's Dictionary, <laughs> this, is, uh, this is what I came up with. It says in Webster's that tradition, the definition of tradition, is the transmission of customs or beliefs from generation to generation or the fact of being passed on in this way. Now, early in our conversation, I'm going to let you give everybody the Latin lesson. Okay. And so early in our conversation, you brought this up, so take it away. So the word tradition comes out of the, you know, derived from the Latin word traditores to hand over. You hand something over to someone else, like passing it on from generation to generation. And uh, so uh, ironically, the word traditore also leads over to the word traitor. And so the word tradition and the word traitor are derived from the same Latin root, but it, it uh, has uh, important historical importance for the church because people were turning over, handing over their scriptures during the persecutions, and they were called traditores. They were called traitors. Okay. But the same word is the word for to hand over we use for tradition. So you hand it on from one generation to the next. So I think that we can all say that um, probably in our church histories, and and I'm a I'm one of those church kids. I'm a preacher's kid, so I've been in church my entire life. Like I, I don't know. Somebody asked me the other day about the Bible, and I said I don't know an existence where there wasn't multiple Bibles in my home. Sure. And so uh, those church traditions, some some I will say healthy, and some I will say probably unhealthy church traditions that I've had in my past um, definitely get passed on and they and and we almost can accept them as as truth rather than tradition and some of them are truth that get passed on and so I want to I want to just kind of dive into that since we all have some church background and we all have probably a little bit of experience with this um, what are your some of your thoughts on the divide between what we would call traditional 
and well, let's hit that first. What, what's a good word? Is is it modern, Dustin? Uh, Travis, should we go progressive? Mark, is it contemporary? Like, what what are your guys' thoughts? What's what's the right word there that would be the the juxtaposition to traditional? I learned not to say progressive. Mark has coached me on that one. Okay, because it has baggage. Right? Yeah, it, it's developing baggage for sure. The word progressive yeah, is progressive developing Christianity. baggage. Okay. Is a thing. Yeah, like in my mind, of, oh. I think of, of like, hey, I'm progressing, but then I talk to someone in a specific vein, and they're like, oh, no, that means you're crazy. Oh, okay. Yeah, so. that it has political implications. It has progressive is uh, associated with the idea of liberal at this point, and maybe the word might be less helpful than it used to be. Yeah, that's a good, that was a really nice way to put that, Danny. That yeah. word may be less helpful than it used to be. I think of that with like charisma or charismatic. It's like, oh, that person, you know, is, is being, has charisma or like feels like it's something that we would consider charismatic. Sometimes you think of it as uh, very Pentecostal and sometimes it's like, oh, it's just energetic. Right. And it's also not helpful to say. <laughs> <It's> not, <laughs> there's there's Greek behind that word, so we could go into that lesson, but I'll, I'll yeah. not do that. Yeah. Uh, we've been using the phrase modern um, because over time, whatever word you use starts to have different cultural implications to it. Mm -hmm. So like used to, probably would have said contemporary, but then contemporary doesn't really, like it started to have a specific label system to it. Right. So we would use modern okay. at our church. Yeah, thoughts. I, yeah, I think uh, I was just thinking of what I wonder what the next one is going to be. Like, what's the next? It went from contemporary to modern. Now, Probably what post-Christian? Post Maybe so. Uh, yeah, I don't know. And I think a that lot of times <laughs> that was like a, that was a you know post-Christian church. Yeah, yeah, so. good one. Uh, I think <laughs> <laughs> here all um, week. <laughs> I, I think a lot of times it really. Um, and in a lot of ways, I mean, it, we're really talking about musical styles when they talk about is it traditional, is it contemporary, is it modern? Um, I, I think that's generally what people think of, and I don't know if that's necessarily the truth, but I think that's what people go back to. One of the things I would point out is that both what most of our General Baptist, General Baptist churches think of as traditional and the churches that think that consider themselves contemporary or modern, um, they all are a part of a, a separate tradition, right? Mm -hmm. That is, it is, that comes out of the, really out of the oh, second great awakening in the 1800s, where you have, if, if your church service has a structure that looks something like this, you have music that leads up to the sermon, and then the sermon is the pinnacle of the thing, and then you're calling people to respond, and you might have another, another song at the end. Right, and you put the put the offering plate in there wherever you want to, and you only do the do, do communion every once in a while, and then you got to figure out what to do with it. If that describes your church and the way you do services, you're you're a revivalist tradition church. I think most whether people, you're whether you're singing, you know, Hillsong or whether you're singing Heavenly Highway hymns. I think, mm. I think there's some people who would think that came out of Andy Stanley's Deep and Wide book. It was such a revelation, but instead, it really is a tradition. Yeah, it it yeah so. You know, we're not talking about General Baptist churches are not liturgical churches. I mean, those mm -hmm. kinds of churches have a very different tradition about how they structure their worship. And what What did it look like before then? Uh, I was just curious if it, it it's like that's the only way I've ever known church to exactly. exist is exactly that style. And so, like, what was it before that all happened? Like, 
Yeah, so you, you had usually you had uh, service was separated into the, uh, what's considered the service of the word and then the service of the table. Uh, you would have a gathering at the beginning, which will have scripture, would have potentially music. You would have uh, music that would, you know, intentionally follow the sermon service of the word in response. Um, you would have, you know, a, a sending out. There would be some a confession of faith. You know, there was there there is a, a long-standing liturgical tradition that we have some of the earliest liturgies. I'm gonna, I'm going geeky on you guys. I'm sorry. Yeah, bring it. Okay, uh, but we have early liturgies that go back to within you know um, 100 150 years of Jesus, and we have full liturgies that were within 300 years that you can go back and look and see. This is the way they structured it. Here's what they said. This is what their prayers were similar to or like. Um, I think that's so we 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 tend to think about our our experience of tradition, which is very short. Yeah, it fits within the context of our our either our ability to remember or the stories that have been passed on, right? And right. those traditions that have been passed on. Right. I think when you map out like some of the historical uh, functions or uh, pieces of a worship experience, worship service, whatever, um, it's intriguing to think about. Most people who are going to be progressive in the sense of like pushing for change would say like, hey, this is a change for the better. But it's something that is interesting to me when you look at um, current church, like not a, a modern contemporary or even like a modern traditional church as to how valuable prayer has been through the historical um, historical church, like as church has developed to how prayer is such a little piece of the of the worship service mm-hmm. today, or scripture reading. Yeah, I mean, yeah. How, many, how many? What one of the things that really convicted me about this is I learned about it whenever I was in school. Was we say that we believe that scripture is the, you know, really the only rule of faith and conduct that we have. It's it's the it's revelation from God, but the only time it gets read is maybe a few verses before the pastor preaches. And that's if you're lucky, because like some churches, you know, pick which style you want to choose. Sometimes it it's not even there. Yeah, and yeah. so that's that's so that that always has worried me. I, I listen to a lot of Mark Clifton these days, and uh, he says he talks about he says you complain about people in your church not reading their Bible, but then they come to church and you don't read the Bible. <laughs> He's yeah. like they're learning it from you. Yeah, you see, you're actually seeing a movement back towards orthodoxy in a lot of places because of the traditions and because of the liturgy and because of the emphasis on those. We're even just in our, even in our rural country context where I live, you're seeing a, I don't want to say just this explosion, but you're definitely seeing people go, hey, why don't, why, why do they do, why is this so important to them and it's not for us? So it's, I'm always enamored by, and I think that's the right word because when I start to think about it and I go, oh, I grew up in this revivalist culture of, you know, three songs, the sermon, the offering, and and we give a, a, either an invitation or a call to response or something like that. And, and it doesn't matter what, what's always amazed me is coming through what I would call like those you know, the 80s, the 90s, the 2000s, that era of this, and even though contemporary, what we would call contemporary music, you know, starting back in some of the 70s and things like that, mm-hmm. even those things that we we made issues didn't change our traditions. It just was the, it was a different method 
within it or a different model within this. A little, this little different style. Yeah, which which changes over time. We were talking about the idea of what is a hymn or what is a convention song. Right. You yeah. know, and those hymns of, you know, great is thy faithfulness, there is a balm in Gilead, those, those list of hymns compared to, uh, you know, in that great getting up morning or just right. over in the glory land, you can look historically and see that those were written in seasons where, you know, the depression was happening and everybody wanted to get out. Yeah. And Lord, take us. Let's go home. Yeah. And and so, but then now with, with a contemporary model in there, we get really attached. What what? Why is it that we get so attached to these what we would call quote unquote traditions that we have? Um, and even now, and, and what people would consider at real life, my the church I pastor would consider a a modern church. Um, there are things that if somebody said, hey, I want to do this different, in the back of my head, I'd be like, well, why would we do it different? Yeah. I think different is is one of the key words in this. You know, Travis was mentioning two or three examples of where, you know, I've, I've never done it any other way or I've never heard of that or whatever. Um, and some of that is back to the definition of it's been handed down from generation to generation. And you're a part of that subculture. Mm-hmm. And so, like, what is so uncomfortable is everybody has different traditions. And so, like, if you walk into something different, like, you just feel out of place. And so, like, if you were to walk in a Catholic church and you don't have a Catholic background, you're like, man, these people are, like, really into cardio. They're up and down all the time. They pray a lot. I don't know what the little bench thing's for. I'm not sure that's what I would think, but I appreciate the illustration, <laughs> Dustin. Yeah, or, or uh, uh, me and my family, we did uh, – we went – we were up watching uh, a baseball game in St. Louis, and we had some time to kill. So we walked into the St. Louis Cathedral mm-hmm. um, there by the arch – and uh, my son was really intrigued by holy water and uh, tried to convince him not to drink it, you know. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but it was like it was so different to him. Uh, and that's just some Catholic examples. You know, like yeah. you could go into uh, – I walked into Providence General Baptist Church for the very first time when I was dating my wife, and they were uh, – you know, there was some music tension at the time. And to them, it was traditional versus like progressive or contemporary. And I'm like – all of this is progressive to me because my background was I was Methodist that then got saved in a Southern Baptist church and then uh, had a, a true awakening uh, into free will. But I'd never been anywhere. <laughs> you know, uh, but I'd never been anywhere that had a drum set in the church. Mm-hmm. I'm like, this is crazy stuff. Oh, they have a mandolin? And, it, and really it was like bluegrass music, but like it was all foreign to me. Like if it's not a cantata, it's not from Jesus, you know? Yeah. Yeah, and and so for that, so you said it's just that subculture that we're born into tradition. So that's why it is. But um, what about Mark? From your perspective, you you have you have loads of experience, and so I'm curious from you, like why why do we hang on to why do we hang on to these traditions? Why why do you think people do that? Uh, it's comfortable. Hmm. It yeah. feels um, people like to go to church and feel like that um, everything's okay. There's, it's like comfort food. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just, it's soothing, it's peaceful. Even if it's, even if the, if the tradition is, you know, kind of off the wall and radical, still for the worshiper, it feels comfortable. It's what they're used to. And I think that's why people resist change a lot when it comes to worship. I was, I was in a class actually one time and and um, it was uh, in my master's degree, and it was uh, in worship. 
and there was quite a few older people in the class because it was a non-trad class. And there were some younger people as well. And the whole topic of, uh, of a particular song, the doxology, came up. And a lot of churches to this day sing the doxology after the offering. Right. And, you know, the younger people in the room were, they were sort of questioning why in the world do we do, do churches do that? And I'll never forget one older gentleman finally said, can't you leave anything alone? Mm-hmm. And I thought that summed it up well. Can't you just leave it alone? And he was, for him, that was, that was comfortable. That was his orientation. And I think we all fall into traditions because they're comfortable. Yeah. I, and and I, I love that, that picture there of somebody going, can't you just leave this alone? Because I, I do think as somebody who pastors, again, the church that I pastor, there are probably times that the desire has been to change something simply to change it, not, not because there was ever really a fantastic reason to change it, but we just didn't want to do it like we always did it. So we're going to change it. And I think in the process, you know, Dustin, you mentioned it about like how little prayer or scripture is, is utilized in the church. I think sometimes we've almost changed ourselves out and, and, and missed some stuff that probably did need to be left alone. Well, I think the difficulty with comfort, like comfort food, comfort experiences, is what's comfortable to one person is boring to somebody else or bland to somebody else. And so, like, some of this comes down to personalities of leaders, which eventually, like, if a leader is somewhere long enough, the organization or the church is going to have some reflection of that leader. Like, some leaders very much thrive in comfortability, in um a routine where you know exactly what it is, plug and play, you could say. And then some leaders change stuff just to change stuff because they may be more early adopters. Like they may feel like, well, if I'm not working in it, then like something's wrong. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I wonder I wonder that the concern for me in that would be that we, we don't take enough time to process through does it need to change or or why, getting the why behind the what and not just changing it. I think sometimes also because of our culture, you use the phrase, what's comfortable to somebody is boring to another person. And I think we also fall, uh, what's the word? We fall prisoner to the culture of constant movement. Mm-hmm. And we're afraid to let people be bored when in reality it may be where some of their growth occurs is is in the consistent uh, just a consistent methodology or consistent Bible study. And, yeah. you know, it's why people don't read Numbers or Leviticus because I just read Begat 700 times and that's boring to me. When in reality, if you'd rest in that and you'd spend time dwelling, um, there would be benefit to it. Again, I think it's a really interesting line and the conversation is always interesting to me because I don't know, if, we don't hear very many people sitting in the middle. Right. It's, yeah. So so if you, one of the things I would say is, um, I think, I, I think that we need to be careful in the whole conversation whenever we make any of these kinds of things about, particularly about preference, um, and instead recognize that however we do it, it is do it it, it is a it is there to accomplish something that has nothing to do with our preference. Mm. God is always the object of it, but also ed, I would tell you that what you do and how you do worship is more instructive probably than any sermon that you do. 
Hmm. Which I think that's great because I think like, you know, there's a layer of uh, all of us should be theologians, like we're studying God to some degree and like how much emphasis we put on the theology of our sermons and how lack of interest we put in the theology of our worship. Because like there's times where it's like, oh, you shouldn't believe what you're singing. Right. You know, but like people sing it anyway. Like, oh, this is this is a jam or, yeah. or a go, bop or whatever. When I go to a General Baptist church and I I hear a Calvinist song, I go, This doesn't make any sense here. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> well, it shouldn't anyway. <laughs> right. And and you can I mean, I I enjoy the the conversation just like I said in worship in regards to um Oh, this song here, and and you hear a ton of it now. Well, these contemporary songs—they're just so—they lack so much biblical or theological depth. And I would say, yeah, some of them do, uh, for sure. But you and I talked earlier about the yeah, convention sure. songs. Some there are some convention songs that some of I, my by, some of, by the way, some of my favorite convention songs. Yeah, exactly. The, the theology of them are at least questionable. So. Yeah, at least question. We'll, and we'll go with just at least questionable. Let's we don't want anybody to be offended by the podcast, but we do want you questioning <laughs> these things. Yeah. Uh, because I think it's important to us to go to be. I don't want to say be okay. Yeah, I do. Be okay with the reality that what you said, Danny, is the is the key. And I think this scripture in First Corinthians that I was talking to you guys about in fifteen. Verse 58 says, Therefore, my beloved brother, be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. That's what we're doing. That's what's steadfast and immovable. Not the methodology, not the preferences, as you mentioned. That's not the part that's steadfast and immovable because that's what gets us stuck. That's right. And when we get stuck, then there's consequences not just for us, but that... Uh, is stuckness a word? I don't think so, but you go All right, with, go I'm, I'm using the it. dictionary. It's, it's out there. Uh, <laughs> I, um, but we can pass that on as a tradition too, mm-hmm. that being stuck. And we have to be careful of that. Well, I think one of the things, you know, as Mark's talking about like the comfort, uh, another layer of, of traditions of, of what we get into is also the emotional connection. Mm-hmm. So, for example, like if I eat a specific cheese, like I can go back to the very first location I ever had it. Or if mm-hmm. I have like a poke bowl, like I can think about like a vacation I went on. Just as when Mark mentioned doxology, I could close my eyes and I could draw a picture of the church that I grew up in where doxology was played each and every weekend. And so there's an emotional attachment to it. And sometimes we keep trying to re-experience that emotional attachment of like our youth or our past in some ways, it's it's almost a degree of uh, like, uh, this is just the analogy that's in my head, so I don't mean it offensive, but it's almost like uh, a person with their first uh, hit of a drug. Mm-hmm. It's like they're always trying to get back to that first experience, and you know, there's these first moments, but then you move forward. So like, yeah. if, I, if I have a cheese plate, I shouldn't be thinking about vacation. I should be right. where I am. Yeah, my kids to this day. My kids who are in their early 20s, um, if I were to ask them their favorite church service, it wouldn't be the hundreds that they've been involved in at Real Life Church. It was the Thursday night midweek service that my dad and mom did at their little country church because they can remember singing I'll Fly Away next to Mama. Yeah. And so it's it's the, there is that, and goes back to what Mark said, that that home, that comfort, that... You know, and I don't think I don't think there's anything wrong with it, but it's like you said, it can be a favorite. It may not be the thing that's building us or growing us, and not that those things don't, but it can't be the thing we rely on. And we can't recreate those moments. 
Uh, mm-hmm. When I was a youth pastor, we did like a, a Halloween um, outreach. So it was like a um, it was like a half talent show with music, and then we did like worship. And in the middle of worship, the power went out, and like it was a very powerful worship experience. Or if you talk to people at Generation Church, one of the most memorable experiences in twelve year history is the worship night that the power went out. Um, like there's these moments that are like epic moments, but you mm-hmm. can't go back to them and you really can't recreate them. No, no. And you just, you have to be thankful that they're there. And so. And in some um, ways they become marker moments that you can look back on and then work from. And so I think you just un- unknowingly gave me a great segue into the fun part of what we're going to talk about today. <laughs> All right. Cause I'm, I'm here for you. Uh, and, and just so you know, if you're listening today and you've got this and you're like, yeah, okay, but, but Vince, this is where I, I, I'm in a church and we feel stuck. We're just not sure what to do, what to turn, where to turn next. Maybe, maybe we've been trying this for a while and we're not sure what it is. You know, Travis, you mentioned something that earlier that it doesn't matter what you do, can you just kind of speak on that before I really push people towards you anyway? Uh, yeah, for sure. Uh, so one of the great things about uh, my job is that I get to visit a lot of churches, and uh, I get to be in churches that look completely different, uh, just wildly different in a lot of cases. And what I found out is whether it's traditional, whether it's contemporary, whether it's modern, whatever it might be, um, really, I've been in traditional churches that are doing a fantastic job of reaching people and you go into those places and you're like man there is like god is in this place like god's presence is here like the people love each other it's just wonderful but they're very traditional in everything that they do and then the same thing i've been to modern contemporary churches where it's the same thing and so sometimes we think well you know if we're talking about tradition and we're talking about moving on and all this stuff we think the answer is well we shouldn't be traditional we should be you know we should move into a contemporary modern whatever it might be that's not necessarily the case sometimes it is like in reality like you can do traditional really well and you can do really good ministry in a, what we would call a traditional type service and you can reach people and then on the same hand you can do modern really well and reach people um, you can do modern poorly and not reach anybody yeah. and fail. Uh, and you can do traditional poorly and fail. And so it's we get caught up sometimes with, you know, is it traditional, is it modern, contemporary, whatever. And reality is like just whatever you're doing, do it to the best of your abilities. Um, and, and if something's working, keep doing it. If it's not working, then try other things. Well, and I think there should be a layer of intentionality to it. And, like, it's easy for, like, the conversation to come down to, like, its stylistic, con- yeah. like its stylistic approach. Mm-hmm. And, like, the truth is every church is a traditional church. Mm-hmm. Like, I am a part of a traditional church. Uh, the, the difference is what we call them. So, like, a high church may call their traditions liturgy, uh, a traditional church. Like, there may be, like, a church that does, and they call it a traditional. And a lot of modern churches call their traditions culture. But mm-hmm. the truth is it's all traditions, and the problem becomes when you do something just because it's the way you've always done it instead of forgetting the why behind everything you did in the first place. Because right. mm-hmm. it was always supposed to be about Jesus and not what makes us comfortable or what takes us back to an experience. Yeah, it all pushes towards how it makes disciples. Yeah, and so if you're listening, and I pray this has been encouraging to you, I pray you've had some fun with it, but also maybe it's caused you to question some things. Um, and, and if it has and you need some help with that, somebody just to walk through that, you can reach us here uh, at the headquarters at uh, generalbaptist.com. You can reach out to Travis Stevens, who's over our church health 
um, here, the ministry there. Um, but really reach out to any of us here at the headquarters, and we'd love to just walk beside you and connect with you. Uh, we are for the church. You guys have heard us mention that over and over and over over the last year, and and I and I pray you understand that's truly our heart. We want you to succeed. Uh, n- not so you can tell the people at the coffee shop, but because the kingdom of God will grow because of it. That, that's what we want to happen is we want the church to grow. So um, kind of stepping out of that. So I was sitting here thinking about this, just my favorite traditional or what I, what I would say are my traditions. So I grew up um, where the church, every church my dad pastored looked the same no matter which church it was, I walked in and, and I know Mark has an affinity for paneling, wood paneling. And so each church, <laughs> each church that I grew up in, Mark, every church my dad pastored, would I would walk in and they either had like wood paneling all the way up or wood paneling on the bottom up like a wainscoting. And then the piano on one side of the stage and organ on the other side of the stage. And the organ didn't get played about 80% of the time. And no one knew how to play the organ, but we had one. And so I come out of those types of traditions. We also had a third Sunday fellowship dinner. So I have, here's a couple things. I want to ask you two questions. First one is this, what's your favorite fellowship dinner dish? Mm. Mm. And if you know who prepared it, that'll be a bonus. That's a great question. I, boy, I, I was just at an association meeting uh, this past weekend and I'm a, I love sweets, and so I love hanging out at the dessert table, and they always have all this spread of amazing desserts. And so uh, Peach Cobbler mm. uh, was there, and I had a uh, yummy uh, plate of peach cobbler. And so uh, that's just a recent memory of it. Like, that was fantastic. Did you have a scoop of ice cream with it or just the cobbler? No ice cream, unfortunately. Okay. Right. You know, I was 39 before I realized you could put ice cream on dessert. Hmm. It's changed my There's life. There's been so many things today. People don't know this, but we've gone, what, what's wrong with you, Dustin? Yeah, <laughs> well, Dustin is an interesting yes. person, ladies and gentlemen, if you don't know. Well, uh, so I would say that's one of my weird things. So, like, I grew up with uh, schools that had compartmentalized lunch trays, and so it created this weird dysfunction in me. Like, I think I might have, like, low-key OCD where, like, food don't touch. So, like, if it's a potluck, I'm putting beans in a cup because if the juice is on my bun, like, I can't eat it. But... The exception to this rule is potluck casserole because my favorite potluck food is not an individual casserole. It is those moments where casseroles combine into like the potluck casserole casserole. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Potluck surprise. The potluck surprise. That's what we're going to call that from now on. Somebody's taking that to the next fellowship dinner. They're going to call it the potluck surprise. It's like Neapolitan ice cream where like you have that moment where you go from one flavor to the other and you're like, ooh. But you may have a casserole with stuffing and then one with noodles in it, and they all come together in this glorious harmony of... Every other world, it's wrong. (laughs) But at potluck time, it is so right. (laughs) Danny, what about you? Favorite favorite dish? I'm I'm going to do uh, two things. One is that every church I've ever been a part of, there is at least one lady in the church that seems to have a spiritual gift connected to chicken and dumplings. Mm -hmm. And I can tell you, uh, Sister Gladys... Uh, who has gone on to be with the Lord, that that was the thing. And then I would also say I had one th- church that I worked in whenever I was in seminary that had a lady that that made just, I mean, corn. It's, it seems like a, and I don't usually like corn, but Sister Clarabelle could make corn and put it in a crock pot in a way that it, it, <laughs> it made it sing. And so made the angels sing. Absolutely. Corn. So I can think of I can think of multiple <laughs> examples of of those kinds of things over the years. But yeah, um, chicken and dumplings. 
And I don't usually like corn, but Sister Claire Barrel's corn was awesome. Mark, what you got? Well, I've been at the church long enough now that it has changed as people have gone on to glory. Uh, at the moment, it's Miss Pam's banana pudding. Miss Pam's banana pudding. Absolutely. So you're with Travis on the dessert side of the table, huh? Well, not not always, but at the, at the moment, for sure, it's Miss Pam's banana pudding. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I could give a shout out to talk about banana pudding. You know, uh, Big Al. Al. Um, Mm-hmm. He 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 does catering over in around you guys' neck of the woods and pastors there at Shiloh uh, General Baptist Church and he has banana pudding that is to die for. Yeah. So. He does, yeah. We uh my fellowship dinner thing was always fried chicken. My mom my mom didn't make a lot of fried chicken, so I knew that when we had fellowship dinners I would get fried chicken. Well, my dad this is the story I didn't tell you all earlier that I said I was gonna tell. So my dad goes and he's trying out at a church and typically Okay, a new pastor's coming. We want time with his family, so we're going to do a fellowship dinner immediately following service. So schedule of the day was Sunday morning service, fellowship dinner, and then Sunday night service. And it was like six different ladies made fried chicken, and I literally turned myself into a glutton. And I probably ate 15 chicken legs, and I just gorged myself because I didn't get it that often, and I loved fried chicken. And so that night, I'm sitting on the front row. It's hard for me to tell the story without laughing. And my dad is preaching about Jesus <laughs> delivering the demoniac on Gennesaret. And he's, he's preaching this sermon. And just as he gets to the part where Jesus tells the, the demon to come out, <laughs> I threw up <laughs> all over the front of the church <laughs> from the front row. And then they had to vote after service oh. on whether he was going to come or not. We did not get that church. <laughs> I'm pretty sure they thought that his son was possessed at the time. Um, but uh, favorite, I want to move into this and we'll let you go. I, we're going to cut you guys loose, but favorite hymn or convention song. I'll, I'll, get, I'll open up convention songs. Something that's not in what you would consider a modern, unless that's your only context, a modern church uh, worship service. That's easy for me. What's Manch- yours? Mansion over the hilltop. Mansion over the hilltop. Yeah, that's an easy one for me. Never that's heard it. I love You've it. never me heard either. Mansion no, over the hilltop. No. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna sing it for you. But oh, we need Mark's Spotify playlist. <laughs> so I would say uh, that style. It would be He Set Me Free. Okay. Mm-hmm. Very like maybe uh, number five in the Heavenly Highway hymn book. Yeah. Uh, somewhere in that neighborhood. Uh, if we're talking about like old style, older style hymns, uh, I love "Be Thou My Vision." Be Thou, that's a great one. Yeah, um, and for me, uh, Travis, you got one. Yeah, for me, it was uh, "I'll Fly Away." Was those staple you heard most often? So I really like that. I like the upbeat stuff, and then uh, "Good Old Gospel Ship." Uh, I go. really yeah. love that one as well. Yeah, we're gonna take Going a trip on that. That's right. Yeah. yeah, Jesus Pirate. Yeah, <laughs> Jesus pirate. Yeah, I'm not sure how that's out. That's in there, but uh, <laughs> do you know any of these songs, Dustin? I've heard of a few of them. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, mine was always. Um, I loved Heaven's Jubilee. Oh yeah. Two ninety eight. Two ninety eight. And Heavenly Highway Hymnal, and then um, I'd rather have Jesus. Mm. 
Just uh, I always love the just the simplicity of that song. So um, now listen, you guys out there, you've got traditions, you've got some some stuff that you've walked through, you got favorites, and and all that stuff is great. It's it's all part of the journey that God has taken you on uh, in your faith. Whether you can look back and realize all the good that God has brought you through, or maybe you're like I am and you can't remember a time the gospel wasn't in your house or in your home or in your heart, um, or maybe you're a little bit like Dustin and some of these songs are little bit odd and it wasn't until later on that you came to this knowledge of Christ and and either way look back and be thankful for the things that were passed on to you mm-hmm. be thankful for uh, and I'm gonna say this traditions that are the right traditions this this love of Christ this love of mission this love of of doing things for Christ and on his behalf and if you can look back and continue to do that God's gonna bless you in the future and if you don't do that now try to figure out some ways that you can pass some things on to the people around you that are healthy traditions that are healthy things for you your church and your family guys we thank you so much Fellas, I thank you so much for joining me today on this episode of Doing Together. And I pray that God blesses you guys and I can't wait to do it again. That silver line, I've got a mansion just over the hilltop in that bright land.